Okay, so we're on a series called Five Gifts of Jesus, and it comes from Ephesians 4, 8 through 13, and it says this, when Jesus ascended on high, in other words, he leaves planet earth, he goes up to heaven, he says, listen, I got a goal, and that's churches. I want to put churches all over to get the word out, to train people. So he sent these five gifts to certain people to oversee this vision that he has on earth. It says his gifts were to the people, the church. He himself appointed some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to fully equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ, the church, until we all become a mature believer. Now, if you're looking on the screen and you notice how we fixed the red words so you can see it better, right? Okay. We did that just for you so y'all can see. We, we want you to see. So a lot, of, well, a lot of people, some people online will say there's only four ministry gifts here. And it's because the word some is in there four times. And I know this doesn't really matter, but in case you're ever in conversation with somebody and that just happens to come up, like I'm sure things like this do all the time when you hang out with your friends, you can tell them there is actually fivefold. And the reason why is because all pastors must teach, but not all teachers are pastors. You understand the logic behind that? It's actually fivefold, but they'll say, well, it's just four because it says some, 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 and then it says pastors and teachers together. But it's not together because all pastors have to teach, but not all teachers have to pastor. Okay, well, I just thought that I, I, that I enjoyed that. Okay, so today in part four, we're talking about pastor. Pastor, for your notes. Um, I believe that pastoring is the most difficult of the fivefold, and here's why. Okay, here's why. It's because the evangelist just gets them saved and says, see you later. Right? You're saved now. Get in a church. The apostle says, here's the vision for the church. Here's the vision for the school. Here's the vision for the, the homeless ministry. Here's the vision. Now go do it. See you later. The uh, prophet just wants to encourage you along the way. Oh, you're doing such a good job. God's got a plan. You'll get there. See you later. The teacher, right, pours into their student, but at some point the student goes to the next grade or they go to the next level or there's a teacher that teaches the book of Revelation and that's their passion. Well, after you've learned that for two years, it's time to go to another teacher that teaches you about, you know, the, the sacrifice of the lamb or whatever is in the Bible. Great. The pastor is the only one of the five that is constantly in your face over and over with you for long periods of time to lead you and feed you and lead you and feed you and it's like the mailman you know the mail you know that phrase don't go postal on somebody it's because it, the mail never ends it's like my job is never finished it's never finished there's going to be mail tomorrow there's going to be mail the next day for a pastor i'll feed you today and you'll get full and then you're going to come back next week and i got to feed you all over again and then feed you again and then feed you again it's a little bit tiring but i love it okay so um, so uh, us pastors, when we get around pastors, we say, man, pastoring is the greatest job in the world, if not for all the people. If it weren't for the people, it'd be the greatest thing ever. But pastoring involves people. And I love you so much, 11 o'clock service. So, um, I'm just kidding. Okay, so look, uh, if I'm going to offend you, I'll offend you now, and then I'll offend you again at the end of the sermon, and then the middle of it will be nice and, and sweet. So let me offend you now. I've had people ask me, and I'm only answering this because a lot of people ask, can a woman be a pastor? And, um... I'm going to read you one scripture, but I, I would advise you never to form an opinion on something in the Bible unless you've read all the scriptures on that, all of them, okay? So don't get upset. I'm going to just read you one scripture, and then I'll talk a little bit about it, then we'll get into our three points, okay? 1 Timothy 2.11 says, In every church service, let a woman learn in silence with all submissiveness, and do not allow a woman to have authority over men. Rather, she is to remain quiet 
in the congregation. And that's just one of many, many scriptures that talk about women in leadership. So I'm going to give you my personal opinion, but don't take this to the bank and don't go to Jesus and say, what well, you know, John Paul said this. It's just my opinion. Is that a woman is not, a, is, is not supposed to biblically be a senior pastor. In other words, there should always be some sort of a, a, a man that has, um, that's in, in other words, if Kristen is our principal this year for Faith First Academy, I'm still over her as a man. And here's why. It has nothing to do with, with who's better or not. Nothing. Nothing at all. When, when you read the Bible, God is not a sexist God. And, and, and what I'm about to teach you may go against the Barbie movie. Me and my daughter went and saw that, okay? But none of you are wearing pink, so we're okay. And so, so it's all about um, God has created people for different purposes. It says that some are apostles. If you're not an apostle, don't get mad. It just means God has another gift for you. One's not better than the other. Uh, a, a man's not better than a woman. A woman's not better than a man. It's just different purposes. In other words, God chose, God chose. He did not choose a single man, nor will he ever choose a man to bring a child into this world. He'll choose a woman to do that. In fact, he chose a woman to bring his only begotten son into this world. What an amazing gift. Now, if you want to fight about stuff like this, then you know what? In all honesty, men could totally have babies, and it'd be so easy. I had a sore throat this morning when I woke up. It's the same as giving birth, same amount of pain. I can totally handle it. Push a watermelon out of you. Same thing as a little bit of a sore throat. I can do it. But, but you understand, it's just different purposes. Now, we're all for equality, but I want to show you what the Bible says about equality. And this might blow your mind. Philippians 2, 3 says, in humility, you're supposed to value others above you not fight to get above them. You're actually supposed to value them. And here's why you do this. Because when you value others above yourself, God will be the one to promote you and put you where he wants you to go. And no man or woman or president or anyone can stop it when God wants to promote you. God's the one who promotes. We don't promote ourselves. It says in 5 through 8, um, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality. He wasn't pursuing equality with God, even though he was the most powerful man in the universe. He became the most powerful and most humble servant in the universe and put everybody above himself. Everybody he put above himself uh, as something with God to cling to. Instead, he took the humble position and humbled himself in obedience to God. So here's what equality looks like biblically. I'm going to value you above me. I'm going to, and when I'm in a meeting, I don't need to, you know, always make sure that I'm dominating and telling you what I think. I want to hear what you think. If, if there's something going on, I want to try my best to value you above myself. That's our goal, actually, as Christians, is not to put ourselves above others. So do you understand what I just said? So it's okay. Um, if you want to be a woman and be a pastor, go for it. I could be totally wrong. It doesn't matter. I'm just trying to answer the question for some people. Okay. So now let's get into our sermon. Um, the word pastor is only in the Bible one time in English. And it's in Ephesians 4, what we're studying. The only time in the whole Bible you see in English the word pastor is in Ephesians 4, where we read with our five-fold ministry gift. But that same exact word is in the Greek New Testament 18 times, and in the Hebrew Old Testament many, 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 many times, okay? And that word translates to this, shepherd. It's the exact, exact same word. And so for your notes, a pastor is the one who will shepherd the sheep entrusted to him. And I'm very detailed when I give you definitions like this. In other words, you're not my sheep, you're his, but I'm the steward. I'm supposed to steward you well. I'm the shepherd that, that's been, that you've been entrusted to. Um, the reason sheep need a shepherd, and again, I told you I'd offend you at the beginning, and then I'll offend you at the end again, um, is that sheep are the dumbest animals on planet Earth. I dare say, and if you want to write this down, you can, cats are smarter than sheep. 
I thought the words would never come out of my mouth. Out of all the animals that God and Jesus in the Word could call us church members, He calls us sheep. You know, a cat, you can throw them outside and they'll find food somewhere. A sheep cannot even find food without a shepherd. They'll get lost without a shepherd because they're looking down the whole time. They have to have a shepherd lead them, guide them, and feed them on a regular basis. So I have three points for you today. Point number one for your notes is this, and they all start with the letter P because we're talking about pastor. A pastor provides food for sheep. Provides food for sheep. John 21, 17, Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And at this church, we will find a way. If you want to get fed, we, we have a we have hundred ways for you to get fed through this ministry. We have short groups, Bible studies, social gatherings, amen's breakfast, women's discipleship. We got it. I, I met with a Bible college president last week. She's the most brilliant woman I have ever met in my life. Holds two or three doctorate of divinity degrees, doctorate of theology, counseling, Christian ministry. She taught in public school all her life. And she said, you know, I went to one of your teaching groups where you had one of your teachers back there. She said, that, that teacher was amazing. I learned so much. I said, Dr. Stowe, you're the most brilliant woman I met. She literally has half the Bible memorized. And she's complimenting one of our teachers. And that's why we got good food in this place. If you want to eat filet mignon, you come here. You want to eat a hot dog, you go somewhere else. I actually love hot dog. That one, that. Acts 20, 28. Be on guard for yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Don't let the word overseers make you think that there's control things. Overseer simply means this. A person who cares for your soul. In the Greek, overseers, all it means is someone who cares for your soul. To shepherd, that's the exact same word as pastor in English. Exact same word. Tend, feed, guide the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Okay, let me ask you a question. And by a show of hands, and don't lie, but have you ever come to church and the sermon was exactly about what you're going through that week, or exactly what you studied in your short group, or exactly what you read in your quiet time, to the T? Have you ever come to church and it's been like that? Okay, that means you're in the right place. That's because I'm not spending time with you. I'm spending time with Jesus asking him, what do I feed you? That's how you know you're in the right place. Um, now let me ask you this question, and I want you to be honest. How many of you come to church and the sermon is exactly what you did not want to hear because it has to do with what you're going through and you wish you hadn't heard it? <laughs> Again, you're in the right place. Good job. Just making, just making sure. You know, this was so funny. You want confirmations when you step out in faith, you know. And um, when I first started pastoring, I would I start studying on Sunday night. I get my title on Sunday night, take Monday off, and I study for myself. And then Tuesday, I start getting information. Wednesday, I cut it down to three points. I usually get about 15 pages of it, whatever. So by Thursday, I have like, you know, here's basically my two-hour sermon that I got to cut down. And um, when I started doing this, people would email me or talk to me during the week about certain things. And I'd think, oh, they're going to love it because that's exactly what I'm preaching on Sunday. They didn't love it. They got really upset and they'd get offended. So I called Reverend Randall. I said, Reverend Randall, I keep having to change my sermon. I said, by Wednesday, something happens. It's what I'm studying. I don't want them to think I'm talking about them. So I, he said, no, that's the Holy Spirit telling you exactly what you're supposed to feed the people that are coming to your church. It's exactly. Um, and this happens all the time. Listen, the one time in my whole ministry I thought, well, what I preach will have nothing to do with the week was when I was preaching on the Ten Commandments like four years ago, and we got to Thou Shalt Not Steal. And I thought, well, this will be an easy week, nothing bad. No, I'm preaching on stealing. That week, Trisha will tell you, that week, this guy and his wife came to church and needed money, so we hired them to work around church. Every day during their lunch break, we found out by Friday they were stealing our equipment little by little and pawning it at the pawn shops around here. 
the very week I'm preaching, thou shalt not steal. I thought, you've got to be kidding me, you know? Come on. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were on our fruit of the Spirit, right? The ninth fruit of the Spirit, just so you know, it's already in the Bible. I didn't make it up. It was already in the Scripture. 2,000 years ago, was self-control. That week, like Thursday night, somebody emailed me all these problems they're having with their spouse on self-control and self-control. And I thought, oh, they'll love this Sunday sermon. They're like, I can't believe Sunday night. I can't believe you preached on the very thing I emailed you. That was so rude. That was in confidence. I was like, it's already in the Bible. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. It was already in there. It just shows you're in the right place. I love, I'm just sometimes I get a little overexcited, but that's okay. No more coffee for me on Sunday mornings. Jeremiah 23.3, I'll gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries. I'll bring them back. They'll be fruitful and increase, and I'll set up shepherds. There's the word pastor. Shepherds, either that or it's talking about the men in the dress that hold the stick. One or the other. Obviously, it's talking about pastors who will feed them. And when you're fed, you'll fear no more. You won't lack when you're fed, when you're fed the right stuff. And I'll tell you, when you feed yourself the wrong stuff, you'll always be lacking. You feed yourself the news, you'll have a lot of fear in you, you'll be lacking confidence. You feed yourself, the, I'm telling you, if you feed yourself social media all night long in bed, you'll start, like, you'll start having insecurity issues because you're feeding yourself the wrong thing. Uh, Jeremiah 3.15, I'll give you shepherds after my own heart. Here's shepherds after God's heart. Here's what they do. They feed you with knowledge and understanding and after you've repented and you'll multiply the land. I love that because it implies, hey, you come to Jesus and then you need a shepherd. Right? See the repentant part? It's like after I've come to Jesus, in other words, the evangelist isn't going to teach you on all forgiving. Why would I teach you on forgiveness if you're going to hell? You need to repent and give your life to Jesus, and then I'll teach you and teach you and teach you forgiveness. forgiveness. Why would I teach you how to get your finances in order if you're going to hell? You see that? Isn't that so cool? You repent and come to Jesus, and then you need a shepherd to feed you. And if you want to know our plan for church growth, here's the plan. Healthy sheep produce sheep. If I can feed, I want you to be as fat as you can possibly be spiritually. P-H-A-T, pretty hot and tempting. That's what I want you to be. I'm just kidding. That was a 90s joke if you went to school back in the 90s for old people. Mark 6, 34 says, Jesus, when he came out, I went to school in the 90s. Although it looks like I went to school in the early 2000s. But anyway, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a pastor. They lacked guidance. So here's what Jesus did. Watch this. So he began to feed them or teach them. Now let me ask you another question. Then we'll go to point two. And be honest. Don't lie. Don't try to make me feel good, okay? You can lie a little bit. Um, how many of you, by a show of hands, have learned more about the Bible and the heart of God from the Word at Solid Rock than anywhere your entire life? Okay, well, if you did it just to make me feel good, that, you did work, did work, you did good. Okay, you're in the right place. Point number two is this. A pastor or a shepherd protects sheep from wolves. Protects sheep from wolves. First Peter 5, 2, shepherd or pastor is the same word. Same word. I don't know why when it was translated to English, they only put pastor in there once. But it's the exact same word. Shepherd and pastor and protect the flock of God among you, exercising Oversight. Again, the word oversight means to care for people's souls. Not by compulsion or willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not lording over them. In other words, uh, you can hear from God. You don't need me to hear from God. I'm not your Lord. You got one Lord. You can hear from God. I'll feed you the word of God, but you can hear from God. Over those entrusted to you, you're not mine, you're his, 
but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd or the chief pastor appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Now let me prove to you that you don't belong to me. You belong to Jesus. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said this, Peter, and on this rock. And just saying, he's saying, Peter, I'm entrusting these people to you. They're mine, but I'm entrusting the church to you, but they're mine. And Jesus said this, I, that's Jesus, will, there's no doubt about it, build, it's going up, it's not going down, my, it's his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You and me belong to Jesus. And I just want to say as a side note, if you want to be part of something that will last to the end of time, you better be part of a church, a Bible-based church. Because we all thought the Persian Empire would last. It didn't. The Roman Empire ruled the world. Not anymore. Nabisco, Standard Oil, Blockbuster, all these companies we thought would last forever. Nothing will last forever because the only thing that will not withstand the gates of hell is the local church. And it's because Jesus is the one that's protecting it. Matthew 7, 15. Be aware of wolves who come in sheep's clothing. Acts 20, 29. I know that after I'm gone, ferocious wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples. Okay, I need to teach you something here. Wolves, and really this is for a lot of pastor friends too that, that, are, that just need help, but wolves, they don't look like wolves. They look like sheep. And so sheep cannot tell a difference, but the shepherd can. See, a sheep thinks, well, they're just a sheep. They're bye, 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 like the rest of us, you know. They say amen. They do. They look like the rest of us. But it's, it, there's a chance it could be a wolf who's wearing sheep's clothing. So the shepherd has to say, you know what, I don't want you near my flock. I need to protect my flock. And here's what pastors do to be able to recognize if it's a sheep or if it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the first thing is this. Uh, wolves, they don't want the pastor around. They want the pastor to, to walk away. And here's why. It says up there on the screen, you can see it. Uh, after I'm gone, that's when the wolves come in. And, and, and just so you know, wolves always attack the, attack the sheep that are on the fray of the sheepfold. One foot in, one foot out. They, they always do that. Well, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I want to completely serve God, completely give my life to Jesus. Maybe I will. I don't know. I'm just going to kind of keep coming to church. I don't know if I'm going to join and really serve. Da, da. And that's the ones the wolves are after because they know they can pull you away from the rest of the flock. Second thing is this, is uh, they speak perverse things. It's easy to tell out of what comes out of their mouth if they're actually a sheep or they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Very, very simple. And the third one is this, they draw people away. They draw people away. I had somebody call me last week, a buddy of mine goes to another church. He said, uh, I went to this unusual Bible study and I don't know what to do about it. I said, okay, what is it? He said, um, it was all about the mouth, all about learning about the mouth, James 3. He said, the problem is that some of the main people there, all they do is gossip and slander. I said, well, that's weird. I said, who's the pastor in charge? There's no pastor. I said, what church is it a part of? There's no church. I said, who's the apostle that sent them out? No. Who's the evangelist that has the desire to get out there and give people? No, no, no. I said, did it make you feel like you're in love with Jesus and you love your church and you want to? No. I said, what is encouraging? No. I said, dude, that's a bunch of wolves. Now, I wanted to say, sheep are dumb. Like, come on, man. And so I told him these three points. I said, wolves are after blood. And there's three things that blood does. It connects you to the rest of the body. It redeems you from sin. And it energizes you to serve. So if it's disconnecting you from your local church, it's a wolf. If it's, if it's talking about your past or anything that's been repented for or taken to Jesus, it's a wolf because the blood redeems us from sin. And if it's taking away your energy to serve the body of Christ, it's a wolf. You better watch out. Watch out. Um, I, I read this um, 
uh, old parable about these settlers that were moving to the west from the east. And they found this wise old man in the mountains. And they said to him, they said, listen, our family, we're, we're thinking about moving to this next town. What's this next town like? And the wise old man said, well, what were the people like in the town from which you came? They said, oh, those people were horrible. They were wicked people, rude. They took advantage of the innocent. They were thieves. They were liars. We didn't like anything about that town. The wise old man said, well, this next town is the exact same from which you came. They thanked him and they continued west. A few days later, another family came. Same thing. They were leaving wherever their town was, trying to get to a new town, you know, settle their family in a new place. They went up the mountain and they found the same wise old man. They asked him the same question. He returned and said, what was the town like from which you came? They said, oh, that town was wonderful. We had many friends. Everyone looked out for each other. We were never in lack because the town was full of givers and servants. It was so hard for us to leave, but we felt compelled to step out in faith and make way for the future as we pioneer. The wise old man said, this next town is the exact same from which you came. In other words, to the pure in heart, all things are pure. When somebody comes to church here and all they do is badmouth their previous church, in my mind I'm thinking, you might be a wolf. Because if you got nothing good to say about where you came, you're going to have nothing good to say when you get here. And I want to protect the sheep entrusted to me. I want to hear you say, you know what, we loved it, we served it, it was great, but God just compelled us to take a step of faith and move forward in our life. And I'll say, welcome to the body of Solid Rock. We want you in our family. So let me ask this, what does a bad pastor do or a fake pastor do when the wolf comes in? You watch this, John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd or pastor, Jesus says. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, one that's just doing it for money, wages, who's not even a shepherd, doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches the sheep, scatters them, and the hireling runs because he does not care about the sheep. In other words, he says, you know what, just move me to a different church. I'd rather pastor another group of people because I just can't handle it. I just don't care enough about these to be here and go through with it. In, in, in a very paraphrased form, uh, shepherds gather and wolves scatter. Shepherds always gather, wolves always scatter. And you have no idea the wolves that myself and our leaders have had to deal with over the years to protect the vision of our church. And the reason that you come in here and you feel so safe and loved and you feel forgiveness immediately and you have this huge desire to give and serve is because the atmosphere has already been set by the leadership here. The vision has already been established. That's why you go to some places and you don't feel like home at all. Because there's, there's, there's wolves, and, and a lot of times a pastor um, is scared to lose people, so he won't stand up to the wolf. He'd rather have people in the chairs uh, than to deal with the things that need to be dealt with. So very, very tough position, and we pray for all pastors out there. Ezekiel 34, 5. Now I'm going to show you some, I want to show you some symbolic language, okay? Symbolic language. Um, we know that we're sheep. That's obvious, right? We see it all through the Bible and Psalms as well. We know that shepherd is a pastor or, or, or Jesus, the good shepherd, the Bible says but beasts of the field is symbolic language for demonic activity or demonic spirits. And I know that word scares some of you, but I want to prove it to you biblically. Okay, watch this. The sheep were scattered because there is no shepherd, and they became prey for the beasts of the field. 
Now, either it's saying, hey, there wasn't a pastor for the people, and so the wolf, the wolf and the, the dog and the coyote and the cat, the bobcat, uh, came after them, or this is symbolic language for something. Uh, Mark 1.13, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, as was with the beasts of the field, and the angels ministered to him. So either it was Jesus, Satan, angels, and a few bears, or beasts of the field mean something. Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. Now either it's saying the snake is smarter than the bear, Satan is smarter than a wolf, or it's saying out of all the demonic spirits, out of all the fallen angels that God created, the fall, he created out of all the fallen angels, Satan is the most cunning and the smart of all the demons. I just want you to see, this is why Satan does all he can to get you away from church. Because he attacks Christians that are on the fray, attacks Christians that are no longer part of a church anymore. That's why it's so important. And if you ever leave here, go to a church immediately. And I know that there's no perfect church. I know, find one, get in church. I care more about your soul than I do you sitting in a chair here and listen to me preach. So point number three is this. Uh, A pastor promotes leaders. A shepherd promotes leaders. Uh, The first appointed deacons in the Bible, Acts 6, 1 through 8. When the number of disciples was multiplying, there was a complaint because the widows were neglected. Poor widows. we got to take care of our widows. Then 12 gathered all the disciples and said, It's not right for us to neglect the teaching of the word. So we need seven men full of the spirit and wisdom that we can appoint over this. We'll give our attention to prayer and teaching of the word. Here's what it's saying. The apostles, we got to pray and teach, pray and teach, pray and teach. And then we get the deacons and the leaders to carry out the work in church. My work here, my service here is, is the music department. But as a pastor, I'm supposed to spend time with God so I can feed you. That's why we equip you and train you to do the work of the ministry. Um, first appointed elders in the Bible, Numbers 11, 14 through 17. Moses said, God, I'm not able to bear all these people alone. It's too heavy. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. I can't tell you how many times us pastors, we've gotten together for breakfast or lunch, and one of them at the table prays that prayer before we eat our food. Lord, bless our food, and if you don't do something, just kill me here and now. You're not going to change things. It's the prayer of a burnout pastor, and I know you don't think it's funny, but it's a little bit funny when it's not funny at all. And the Lord said, gather me 70 men of the elders and bring them to the tabernacle so they can stand with you, not against you, but with you. Then I'll talk with you there, and I'll take the Spirit upon you and put the same vision, vision for the church on them, and they'll bear the burden people with you, that you may not bear it alone. And I want you to see the reason the pastor appoints and is not voted upon is because a pastor can spot a wolf, but people spot popularity. So people can see someone who's dominant or strong, or they can quote scripture and think, oh, they're popular, they need to be here. But only the pastor can actually spot who the wolves are. Here's the point of this scripture, though. The elders have the same vision. And when me and the elders get together, or me and any of our leaders, youth leader, music, whatever it is, the goal is not for them to hear from me or me to hear from them. The goal is for us to hear from God. We're going to find out what God wants us to do with this. The good thing about, about being in church is that all the blessings that are in any of the leadership, it gets flowed down to you biblically. It's actually commanded by God. And when God commands something, it'll happen. I'll show you Psalms 133 says, it's wonderful when God's people are in unity. It's like the precious ointment poured on the head of Aaron, running down and consecrating the body. It's there that the Lord has commanded the blessing forevermore. It's a commanded blessing. Um, The reason that some of you have grown so tremendously in forgiveness 
is because I'm spending my whole life and every day of my life learning how to forgive and studying forgiveness. The reason you come here and some of you, you've never really given and now you just love to give is because I love to give. All the blessings that are in leadership at the church will flow down to you. And here's the good news. Any of the stuff that you don't like or my, my, my impatience or whatever, you know, your, whatever you want to call it, um, that's not going to flow to you because grace prevents that. The good stuff you get, the bad stuff you just pray for. And, I, I, and the way I'm going to teach this to you is this is, gonna, this is the part that's going to offend you. I said, God, how do I really you know, drive this point home? So I'm going to do it in a way I don't want anyone to moan or groan. Okay? It'll be very, don't moan or groan when I say this. I'm telling you, don't. I'm tell, I'm, as your authority, I'm saying do not moan or groan when I say this. Okay? President Biden, don't moan. Is your president, if you live in America and you're an American, he is. And the next president, he or she is. If you're an American, now if you don't like it, move to a different country. But because you're a Christian, you do your part. You pay your taxes. I bet, yeah, we don't like, but yeah. You, are you doing your part to honor God? That's the point. And God will protect you and he'll bless you. Romans 13, 1 says, obey those that have authority. No authority can exist without God's permission. doesn't say God put that person there, but God allowed it to happen. Allowed it to happen. And so if you do the right thing and stop putting all your nasty stuff on Facebook and, and he's not my president and this and that, all you're doing is causing strife. I realize you have a right to... Um, express, you know, our Constitution, blah. That doesn't mean you're supposed to just because you have a right to. You're supposed to honor the leadership and submit and have a good attitude and bless and pray for that president, whether you like what he does or not. Genesis 41:40. Pharaoh, the guy who was way worse than any president we've ever had, he served false gods, he did horrible things, he enslaved people. He said, you know what, this Christian guy here, I'm going to put him in charge. You know why? Because Joseph actually honored and submitted that authority and not put nasty stuff on Facebook about it. You, 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 I knew y'all wouldn't like it, but I don't care because I'm the pastor. Um, <laughs> at least that's what they tell me. Numbers 20 verse 7 says this. The Lord told Moses, take your staff, get the church together, and speak to the rock because they need water. Verse 11, Moses took the staff and he didn't speak to it. He hit the rock. But it says this. Water came out abundantly. And the church still was blessed. The Lord told Moses, you didn't believe you're not going to the promised land. Here's the point. God dealt with Moses, but the people were still blessed. God didn't let Moses' foolishness affect the people. They were still blessed. When they left that country, and you can leave America if you want to. Go to Canada, go to Mexico. Exodus 20, 12, 25 says when the Israelites left, silver and gold they had. They had favor with God. Here's why. They were honoring God. And God took care of them. Now watch this. This is the sad part. When, 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 when Moses messed up, God blessed him. When Pharaoh hurt him, God blessed him. But in Numbers 14, 27, when the congregation complained too many times, God said, okay, you're going to die in the wilderness. They, they, the reason they didn't make it to the promised land, it wasn't Moses. It wasn't Biden. It wasn't Pharaoh. It wasn't circumstantial. It was all because they would not stop complaining. So God's going to hold you. But all the blessings you get. Good news. Numbers 27, 15, and then I'm done. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, God, because this is when Moses was about to die. He needed a successor. He said, God, appoint a man over the congregation who can go out and go in and lead them out, bring them in, 
so the congregation may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Here's what he was saying. saying, God, the vision you gave me is for the promised land. Whoever you put in charge, give them the same vision. I'm dying. I'm not going to be here. If I'm not here, they need to have the same vision of we forgive. We serve. We give and we respect. And we respect this, that we know you can hear from God and we're not going to shove our advice down your throat and we're not going to tell you what you should do. We believe you can hear from God. We're going to love you and pray for you. That's the point. So the point is, is we protect the vision of the church. It's why you come here and you feel that sense of servanthood and giving. So last Sunday I preached on evangelism and a bunch of y'all emailed me your stories. You know, we talked about sharing your story. I was, I, I, normally I, I know how I'm ending my sermon and beginning it by Tuesday night, midnight. That's my, I'm very detailed with the times of what I planned during the week. Anyway, um, by Friday, I didn't know how I was going to end it. And so I text a friend of mine here. And I said, I know your story. Can you send me your story? I said, I'd like to share it with the church. And he sent it to me and I, it was really long. So I cut it down a little bit, but I'm going to read you his story. I told him I wouldn't use his name. He said, I grew up in church. When the doors were open, we were there. From the outside looking in, we were a big, happy family, except that wasn't the case. As far back as I can remember, my dad was always hard on me. Between the beatings and the disappointments, I never heard the words, I love you or I'm proud of you. At the age of nine, I started messing around with cigarettes, beer, and then pot by the age of 11. I was sexually assaulted by a guy who was seven years older than me while still getting beaten daily. For the next year and a half, my family would go over to their house multiple times a week, and every time we went, he would bully, beat, and rape me in his room, all while our parents were in the living room. He would threaten me and tell me, I'll kill your parents if you say anything, or I'll hurt your sisters. So I kept my mouth shut and endured it. I lived in a constant state of mental, physical, and spiritual pain. Full of anger, hurt, and now thinking, for him to do this to me, I must be gay. I knew I didn't feel that way. I just wanted to end it all and not feel the pain. For years to come, living on this depression train, I became a shell of a person. I lost dozens of close friends to suicide and overdose. Fast forward. I got married. I had a little girl of my own until my wife finally had enough and told me, fix it or we're leaving. So after all I've been through and all the progress I thought I was making, at 35 years old, I was about to lose the two most important people in my life to drugs, anger, and hurt. So I made a conscious effort and I joined Celebrate Recovery Group and it changed my life. This was the first time since 12 years old I had been completely sober. Now, a few years later, my wife comes to me and says she wants to go to church and take our little girl. I told her that's fine, but I was never going to go. No way, no how. I was never again going to get involved and put myself out there. For almost three years, I was able to avoid it until they come home and said, hey, we're getting baptized next Sunday, and we really want you there. I did not want to go, but I wanted to support my little girls. So when I arrived before the girls, it just so happened that this baptism was the cross the street from Mr. and Miss V. I was waiting by the car for the girls, and here came Mr. V. I'm always respectful, but I didn't come to talk about God or religious topics. I just wanted to support my girls. 
Well, Mr. V came over with the warmest heart, introduced himself and welcomed me into the home where we were all meeting. His wife came over. They treated me like family instantly. The homeowners invited me and not one time did I feel out of place, even though I should have. There was a calmness. Somehow I'm feeling like I'm home and in a blink of an eye, here comes this young looking guy ready for so Sunday soccer and I swear he came straight in and over to me. The house had filled up and I was furthest away from the door. He said, hey, I'm Pastor JP. And I was like, what? <laughs> but again, comfort and safe was all I felt. Not one time during that day did I feel out of place. All I could feel was I was home. And I knew I would not be able to tell the girls no anymore. The following Sunday, I met them for second service. From the moment I stepped into church, I instantly felt that same home, safe, and calmness. Everyone was so welcoming. I knew there was something different going on here. I knew these people were genuine, and I'm happy to say I've been going every week since for over a year. The place I'm in right now is the best place I've ever been in. My relationship with my dad is better than ever and everything has been forgiven my family is the best it's ever been i don't know why i had to go through these things but it's led me here and i know this is our home solid rock with tears falling from my eyes thank you your love has been the bridge to soften my heart and finally see the true meaning of a church family i will always be forever grateful and thankful for you our pastor and family, I'm proud to be a part of you, to call you my home where you should always feel safe. This is why we feed, protect, and raise up leaders with the vision of Solid Rock.